This is Rumble with Michael Moore, and yes, I am Michael Moore. Today on Rumble, we're going to be talking about what we must do to succeed next year in the midterm elections in 2022 and beyond. And to do that, um, I've got a great uh, guest, a professor of law and of history at uh, Yale University. He had a a great op-ed this week, and I asked him if he would come on the show and talk about what it is, the landscape of what we're facing, because we're fighting Lots of people on the right, but we're also fighting the, the so-called moderate or centrist uh, Democrats. Uh, and uh, his name is uh, Samuel Moyne, and he will be my guest here uh, shortly. Um, the, uh, for, uh, but before we do that, I, I have a big announcement to make, something I've been wanting to do for like 30 years since my first film. I mean, I, I get asked about this all the time, and I, I always think to myself, you've got to do this. One of these days, you've got to do this, because, you know, people... I keep bugging you, and and I'm, plus I think it's a cool idea, and uh, whatever. So finally, after all these years of not uh, having my own ball caps or t-shirts or whatever uh, to offer here online, and to use it to also help some good causes, uh, I have finally done it. I have pulled the trigger on this, and uh, uh, in the last uh, 24 or 48 hours, I have opened up what I am calling the More Store. The Moore Store. It's finally launched and it's live and it's online. And all you have to do is go to store.michaelmoore.com. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times over these 30 years since my first film, I get stopped on the street or wherever and, hey, I want to get a, want a ball cap for your movie or, you know, uh, don't you have like any uh, t shirts or. Uh, and I always say, no, I don't. I've never really had time to do that. I've been meaning to do it. I haven't done it. And well, now I've done it. I find the pandemic sitting, working at home, uh, in lockdown. What can I do with my time? I know I can finally open the more store and sell these hats and t-shirts and coffee mugs and other cool stuff. Um, and so we've done it store.michaelmore.com. We've got dog eat dog films, hats and hoodies, uh, we've got Rumble, though. we got Rumble all over the place. we got Rumble coffee mugs. we got Rumble T-shirts, three different kinds of T-shirts. We have the Rumble ball cap. So if you'd like to get one of these for yourselves or as a present for the holidays here, I'd be happy to provide you with the very, very first edition of all of these uh, things. And a portion of these proceeds are going to go primarily to help support the progressive uh, causes and movements that I uh, believe in but also to uh, groups that are trying to protect the arts in schools, to bring back music, theater in our public schools, and also civics classes, which seem to be disappearing more and more these days. Uh, So there are groups set up to help uh, do this, and I will uh, help support that with the proceeds from um, this uh, merchandise, this Michael Moore Rumble merchandise. So now some of you are asking, what's a dog-eat-dog hat? Doggy Dog is the name of my production company. We named it uh, the first film, Roger and Me, 
and it's been uh, the name of our company uh, that we're you know that we make the films from uh, for thirty uh, plus years. And it's just from the old saying, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You've heard that. In this case, meaning, and you'll see when you see the logo of the two dogs, one's a big bully corporate-type dog, and the other is a cute little puppy underdog. It looks like the bully's getting ready to cause great harm to the little dog. But if you see the animation of this, let's just say the, the big bully corporate dog uh, does not win. So we just came up with this, and uh, uh, many, many years ago, uh, we made crew hats. Uh, for the crew back, you know, in the day we had these dog eat dog hats and we had dog eat dog just for ourselves. And I, I just said, when we were putting this together here uh, during the lockdown, uh, what if we, why don't we offer our crew hoodies and our crew hats uh, to the public? I don't think anybody that's worked on my movies will mind. It's kind of, you know, just let some honorary members and anybody, you know, gets a ball cap or a, a hoodie or whatever. Uh, they're part of dog eat dog films. And so, so it'll, it, um, I think on the, on the hoodie, it says crew, but these are, these are our crew, uh, hoodies and hats uh, for dog eat dog. And I really like it. It's, it's very cool. And there'll be a link to the more store right here in the description on the, of this podcast on this uh, platform that you're listening to it on. And if you have anything that you'd like me to offer, uh, make available at the more store, send me ideas. I'm, I'm open to anything. Just write me, uh, just send me your ideas at, uh, uh, Mike at michaelmore.com, Mike at michaelmore.com. That's how you can always reach me via email. And there's also a voicemail link on this uh, platform page for this podcast. You can just click on that link there and you can leave me a one minute voicemail. So please uh, feel free to do that. It's all, you know, either uh, union uh, made or printed uh, here in the United States, all done in the U.S. here and delivered to you uh, by only union uh, delivery people at uh, the United States Postal Service and UPS. So uh, we try to make this as uh, as much a union p- support as possible, made in America. So there, there you go. There it is. Finally, 30 years in the making, uh, launched uh, this week, the Moore Store. And I think, is this a good time to make the, the big announcement here? So in the last week or so here, we have here on Rumble with Michael Moore, we have surpassed the 30 millionth download 30 million downloads and we're not even two years old this this podcast 30 million downloads of rumble with michael moore and it's kind of blown our minds to say the least so grateful to all of you out there for all of you who participate uh, in rumble with michael moore and thanks to all my great guests that i've been that have come on the podcast in these uh, first 22 months much appreciation uh, to everyone and we were so happy uh, that we could announce this uh, finally today that we've hit 30 million downloads of Rumble with Michael Moore. Uh, man, a real mind blower. Much gratitude uh, to everybody. And my thanks here to the crew, uh, Basil Hamden, our executive producer and our editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, And our, I think now we've made this your official title, Donald. You are the Swiss Army Knife slash Jack of All Trades, Donald Bornstein. And Harrison Malkin, thank you for your research and all your help here. So, um, so here we go. On to the next 30 million downloads. If you're not signed up on my mailing list, just go to michaelmore.com right there. And it's, uh, it's got uh, my weekly uh, letter I send out to my list. And uh, you should be on that list if you're not already. So just go to michaelmore.com. Boom. There you go. And just put your email address in there when the page comes up. And uh, you can uh, become a, a paid subscriber, but you can it's free. Uh, everything I do, 
that I write or every podcast, it's all free. So just hit the free uh, button there and uh, it's all yours. And in fact, I want to I want to thank uh, everybody for their comments on my uh, letter last week. I turned my weekly letter over to Herb Shankman, and uh, uh, Herb is uh, uh, one of the leaders of the moderate wing of the Democratic Party. And so I thought it'd be good just to uh, see what he has to say. And boy, was it revealing! Uh, now, uh, a lot of people uh, thought when they read it that uh, that somehow I, uh, Herb and I had become friends, and I was sharing my my weekly letter with him, but that's, uh, that's not the case at all. Uh, I, I, I find this when I make my documentaries and if, if I just shut up and just let, uh, the opposition speak, they will reveal more than I could ever get out of them by, you know, pounding them with questions or, uh, sitting on their chest or whatever. So, uh, if you get a chance to read this past Sunday's, uh, letter, uh, there, at, uh, michaelmore.com, uh, it's uh, you'll you'll get a good dose of this guy, uh, Herb Shankman, and, uh, and and an idea of what we're all up against. I also will say to uh, people that uh, uh, are not uh, fans of uh, satire or whatever, just uh, you know, uh, you know, give it a chance here. You know, Monty Python wasn't all wrong. Let me just say that. Okay, I'm gonna leave it at that. And speaking of Herb Shankman and all the other um, kind of uh, hacks. Uh, that we've had to put up with old school <laughs> Democrats. That's what we're going to talk about here on, on today's show. And we've got this, as I said, this uh, great guest uh, who will be joining us here, professor of law and history at Yale University, Samuel Moyne. Uh, but before we do that, I want to put a shout out and a thank you to our underwriters for uh, supporting this podcast. So we have a new underwriter. Oh. <laughs> ah, there we go. That. That is what we like. The people that live in this apartment building, somehow the walls are so thin, they hear this podcast first while I'm recording it, and uh, and uh, they just uh, wait in on the fact that we have this new underwriter, and the new underwriter is Stamps.com. We all know Stamps.com. Well, I am so grateful uh, to them for supporting my voice and supporting this podcast. As you know, Stamps.com, it's an approved, licensed vendor of the United States Postal Service. Of course, I've used stamps.com over the years. Uh, it's, it's a way to, to sort of skip the hassle of going to the post office and dealing with holiday shopping traffic and all the other things that, uh, that they've done to make the postal experience so pleasant there at our local post office. But how, why not just save the time and the money and just already have your stamps? Have your own, have your own postal counter right in your own house. You know, especially if you've got a business, a small business, or you, you maybe send out more mail and packages, especially now during the holidays. Well, anyways, my crew and I, we use this whenever we're making our movies and we're doing lots of uh, shipping back and forth when we're out on location. Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts both on UPS and the United States Postal Service all year long. You get discounts that you just can't find elsewhere, like up to 40% off United States Postal Service rates and 76% off UPS. Damn. They, so they've hooked up with, so the, so the USPS is now working together with UPS. You know what you get with both of those? Union help. Union delivery people being paid a decent wage and other benefits uh, when you are union. So to save time and money this holiday season, 
with stamps.com. Sign up with the promo code MORE, M-O-O-R-E. Don't forget it's two O's, M-O-O-R-E, for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. By the way, there's no long-term commitments or contracts or anything like that when you sign up uh, with stamps.com using the promo code MORE, my last name. So just go there. Go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code MORE, M-O-O-R-E. Also, let me, before we bring out Samuel here, I want to thank our other longtime underwriter, ExpressVPN, for supporting this podcast and protecting our privacy. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is just crazy, my friends. We use this, we use it when we're making our movies. We have to have our stuff protected. We can't have anybody being able to, to hack in or capture uh, uh, any information about what we're doing, where we're at, all of that. Uh, you can imagine... <laughs> Uh, what uh, things would look like for me um, if I didn't have something like ExpressVPN. So I'm, I'm, I encourage you uh, to get this. Every time you log on, you know this, if you log on to an unencrypted network, you're vulnerable to hackers and God knows what else. Protect your work, protect your data, just as we do. And we like it because it's super secure and easy to use and it works on all our devices Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash rumble. Don't forget the slash rumble, all right? Because if you put the slash rumble in there, you get an extra three months for free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash rumble. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. So we're all set here to bring out our guest uh, on, on the podcast today. Let me just uh, set it up by acknowledging that late last Friday night, the Democrats passed a $1.2 trillion physical infrastructure bill. And this will provide, as many of you know, much needed money for roads and bridges and railroads and internet access and some more money to build the electric car charging stations um, and electric school buses, there's a few thousand of those, you know, and some other things. However, they did not, Congress did not, as promised, also vote on the Build Back Better human infrastructure bill. Build Back Better. Let's just call what Biden was trying to do with a second bill, the human infrastructure bill. Uh, and that was going to invest massive amounts of money into health care, child care, elder care, Medicare expansion, and other extremely popular and much-needed programs. After Nancy Pelosi and Pramila Jayapal, friend of the show, and the Progressive Caucus, friends of the show, both demanded and promised that both of these bills would get voted on together, they all blinked. Only the smaller physical infrastructure bill that has the backing of corporate America because, of course, those corporations they rely on those roads and bridges and railroads and airports that the government funds so that they can sell their products and run their businesses. Only that bill passed. And all the leverage that the Progressive Caucus once held to make sure that the Build Back Better bill, the human infrastructure bill, um, would get funded and passed that leverage has now evaporated. Only six House Democrats 
Rashida, AOC, Jamal Bowman, Ilhan Omar, Cori Bush, and Ayanna Presley stuck to their promise and stuck to their guns, demanding that the House only vote on both of these bills together. And so they are obviously taking a lot of crap now from the mainstream media and the uh, Democratic Party establishment for bucking their party and sticking to their word and their principles. This all comes in the wake of last Tuesday's elections, where the usual suspects are all calling for the Democratic Party to scale back all their big ideas and move to the center. This includes chipping away at Biden's Build Back Better bill and really watering it down now so that at some point, what's the point? This, my friends, is trouble. It's big trouble for us, for the country, for the planet. So to discuss this problem and figure out what to do now, I am joined today by Samuel Moyne. Samuel is both a law professor and a history professor at Yale University. And in The Guardian this week, he has an op-ed saying, quote, if Democrats return to centrism, they are doomed to lose against Trump. Biden was once touted as the new FDR. That ambition is fast dying as our democratic hopes of remaining in power. Sam, welcome to Rumble. Thanks for having me, Michael. So um, let's just jump right into this. Why did Pelosi blink? And why did the Progressive Caucus blink? Well, it's it's very hard to understand because the if you think the election mattered, it was already over. If there were lessons to be drawn, it wasn't necessary to rush into them. Uh, you know, if the Democrats have to win in 2022, there's a time to figure out how to do that. Uh, and so it's very hard to understand why it was necessary to separate the two bills. Uh, and yet the mainstream of the Democrats and some progressives uh, decided to do it. And as you say, losing leverage over the bigger ticket uh, build back better bill. So I, I think, you know, we have to take a guess. One is that this is what a lot of Democrats wanted to happen. They're still in the thrall right. of the right. old ideologies of austerity and, and neoliberalism. And they saw an opportunity to basically um, terrorize some progressives into, uh, you know, the wrong, the wrong course. Uh, and Fortunately, six said no. I don't know how to feel about this. I mean, um, you know, obviously, I've had a lot of progressive members of the House on my uh, podcast here. Um, I know a number of them um, pretty well and, um, and have great admiration for them. And I guess somehow they think, and boy, I'd like to be proven wrong here. I'd like to just trust their judgment on this. They think it's all going to be okay. They've got a letter or something from five of the more moderate members of the House who said that if the Congressional Budget Office score shows that this doesn't wreck the economy, then they'll be there and they'll vote for this bill. And, and we're all we're going to get these, you know, a limited version, not the original three point five trillion, but you know, one point seven five trillion. We're, we're going to we'll have the votes at least in the House. I still haven't heard that there's anything from Cinema or Mansion saying that they are going to vote uh, for this. So 
What do you think here? What's I mean, I'm not asking you to be uh, uh, you know to predict. You're asking the right questions. Um, it, it you know we trust Jayapal. I mean she's she's been the leader of the progressive caucus, and she yeah, she's she consented yeah. to 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 this arrangement, and she must have a level of trust. Um, as you mentioned, uh, some some of her colleagues gave her assurances. Of course, some like uh, Abigail Spanberger refused to do so. Um, but right. as, as you also, you know, say the, the game for Build Back Better is much more in the Senate and no assurances from any anyone in the House can, can I, I, I think, provide a, a lot of optimism that any, you know, significant version of a social spending bill, human infrastructure, as you call it, can make it through that other house, the Senate. So um, I, I really hope that, you know, the 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 cards have been played well, but it, it doesn't look like it to me. Um, we can think of so many, you know, off ramps for the centrists. One is to, you know, take the the pricing that you know, they've said is they just have to wait for as an excuse to back out of the deal, you know, but uh, without leverage, they can find any excuse or, or none um, to scuttle the build back better bill or just reduce it, you know, even by, you know, the uh, another thousand cuts that uh, it's already suffered. Uh, and even then the Senate is anyone's Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm, it, it was a very depressing moment because, you know, you called Trump's election last time around when no one did. I think now we have to see that if we don't mobilize the state for um, those who are stagnating, we, we will incur their wrath and rightly so. And yet the lessons don't seem to be learned from 2016, even though for four years, we insisted that we were on the brink of fascism. Right. So a lot of people came out to vote in 2020 who had not voted in a long time, if ever. And, and so Biden got more votes than any president in our history and beat Trump by over 7 million votes. I've had this feeling that a lot of them came out because these promises were made these really basic promises. I'm not talking about the really radical stuff oh, yeah. that maybe some people I know, like me, would uh, would be voting for if I were in Congress. These things are not radical. That old people should be able to get eyeglasses, their teeth checked, a hearing aid or two. You know, the um, pre-K, uh, all this stuff. It's not. It's not. These aren't radical ideas. Why? Why are we even having to worry about this? When the American people have made it clear they wanted the Democrats in power, both in the White House, the House, and the Senate. Well, you know, it 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 is a great question at, because it's 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 minor stuff in in the context of industrial democracies, and in fact, what what has already been stripped out of um, Build Back Better, which you know, free free college long ago family leave more recently is also standard, you know, universal, um, single payer healthcare 
what wasn't in it at any point. Um, and th these are so basic to what American citizenship ought to involve that it's, it's no wonder that people are, are, are disappointed. And, you know, we also have to add to, you know, what you said that while Biden got the most votes of any presidential candidate in U.S. history, Trump got the second most uh, because it was just that, that, you know, mobilized an electorate. Um, and I'm very worried because uh, it, it could be the last chance of um, the Democrats to, to kind of offer a credible package to the working people of the country. And it seems like they're missing it. Um, and that's sad because they, they, we were warned for years that if we missed it again, we, we really might not have a country, anything like the one we've, we've had before. And then we were told that Biden was FDR saving us as Roosevelt did in the thirties from all the terrible alternatives of that era. But then to go minimal, it just doesn't seem like they, they could have been telling the truth or been serious before. Mm. Why don't they understand that by not delivering on these promises, that why people went to the polls and voted for them, that if they don't pass this bill, if they don't do other things, for, you know, we're not even talking about voting rights anymore. If they don't do these things, what makes them think that people are going to come out next year and, and vote for them? I, I just, I'm beside myself with this. And I, I read your op-ed and I thought, yes, exactly. Why don't the Democrats understand this? Well, I, I you know, not to get cynical, but I think they do understand it. And uh, the centrists have made a calculation that they, they can't lose the support of the rich. Uh, and they recognize that, you know, wealthier suburbanites also went for Biden last time. And they don't like higher taxes, uh, though they hate Trump. And that the the centrists can squeak by. Um, and that's, that seems to be their bet. Um, but it's, it's an enormous risk to incur just to keep the, the, the rich happy. Um, and there's a whole nother part of the electorate that FDR had and that the Democrats had for a generation that you could get back by abandoning the rich uh, to their own devices and, you know, doing something, you know, for, for working people finally. Right. Um, and I really worry that the bet that the centrists have made will, will blow up in our, all of our faces. And do, and do they know something about us, the, us on the left, that uh, most of us, it seems, some of us, We'll back down. We'll eventually say, you know what? We just got to get what we can get right now, and then and we'll deal with it later. Like like a lot of people said, when Obamacare was passed, which by the way, that was passed um, twelve years ago. Twelve years ago, yeah. We'll we'll work on that single payer thing or some of this other stuff. Let's just get this one passed. It's twelve years later. Where are we? Exactly. And I have a hard time explaining some of the those who you know 
trusted uh, Biden or, or, or were willing to, you know, stop holding this infrastructure bill hostage in order to get the human infrastructure. And, and that's where I think we have to get into this, this narrative that crystallized so quickly around uh, the, you know, defeat of Terry McAuliffe in, in the Virginia gubernatorial campaign last week. Because suddenly uh, the centrist could say, you're going too far and that's why we lost. You're supporting critical race theory in school when a lot of Virginians were just upset that, you know, we'd, we'd reacted to the pandemic by closing schools um, for so long. And I, I, I think that, that there was a sense after, um, after McAuliffe lost that there was like an emergency. But it just perplexes me that the response to the emergency would be to return to the center when that's what McAuliffe stood for his whole career as a, a kind of apparatchik of, of, the, of, of Bill Clinton uh, and a, a, a kind of critic of moving beyond austerity and neoliberalism for decades. And yet the response has been to take the, that race as a warning not to move left, not to think about a more generous social contract for, for our fellow Americans. And it's not just Virginia. <laughs> Look at what a horrible loss in Jersey uh, loss. Right. He won. The governor won. Every election has some winners and losers that, I just, boy, they just went overboard on this, though. Look at the, you know, the Democrats lost in the, this and that. And Man, Boston's got a great new mayor. I mean, I can, I can cite races all over the country last week that actually turned out quite well. And, um, and yet they're pounding away. And then they brought out the big guns. Mark Penn, uh, the, you know, the, 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 old, the old school guy that ran the Clintons' uh, campaigns, et cetera. Um, the New York Times editorial board came out chastising progressives and saying if the Democratic Party doesn't get to get more moderate, then we're going to lose. And it's like, this is the great liberal New York Times. I'm just like, wow, they're pulling them all. They must be really afraid of the progressives and of the country, which has become progressive. Because, if, as again, people who listen to Rumble know, I cite these polls all the time, that the majority of Americans take the... The, the liberal left progressive position on just about every issue and, um, and supported by wide margins of 60, 70, sometimes 80%. Gun control is 90%. It's, it, they are misreading the country because they don't want to lose their power. That's how I look at it. What do we do about this? Well, I, I think there's, there's got to be a short-term strategy and a, a, a long-term one. I mean, because as, as you know, we, we are seeing change and we're seeing you know, more resistance to the military spending and the endless wars. Right. And Democrats have, have begun to internalize, uh, and even some Republicans, that you don't just fight a war because it's there. And, and on domestic policy, I, th- I think it's, 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 it's just you know, uh, terrifying to some of these centrists that they could be forced into baking in a kind of new entitlement because they know that once that happens, uh, 
as with Social Security in the 1930s. Um, you can't get rid of it because people come to expect it as like a basic right of citizenship. And so all of these things um, that the Democrats began to offer and that the progressive support and that, as you say, the American people want in, in by huge margins, you know, we're coming up to the brink um, and there's just terror that they'll actually be forced to give them out and then pay for them through taxation. And that's what these old centrists, you know, have to forbid at all costs. And so it was amazing that the New York Times um, wrote this editorial um, demanding that Democrats accept a centrist political reality. Um, right. uh, because what, what that meant was, you know, re returning to the center, not just on one or two issues um, like critical race theory or a police abolition, but on these economic matters on bread and butter, you know, popular entitlements too that, you know, so many Americans not just deserve, but say they want and know they want. So we've got to run more progressive candidates and do it outside uh, cities and begin to reconstitute from below, you know, FDR's coalition, which um, was, was so popular for so long. Um, and in, in the short term, I think it, it just means keeping the pressure up um, and supporting our progressives, you know, if they're, if they're being canny and Machiavellian and maybe Jayapal mm -hmm. is doing that, um, maybe she's yeah. mistaken, but definitely supporting those that won't take no for an answer like AOC and the rest of the squad that so heroically said that if you give up your leverage, you give up the result. Um, and so I right. think we've got to, you know, um, we've got to count on the emergence of a new generation that is beyond neoliberalism, that fears the, you know, the ecological crisis that is already upon us, that doesn't understand, doesn't understand that uh, why the rich have, have, you know, gained ownership of our political system. And so it's a matter of time. I just hope it's not too late, um, uh, given where, you know, the Trump or some other Republican could take the country in 2024. When the discussion comes up over Thanksgiving dinner uh, in a week or so, and, uh, and uh, the, the more moderate Democrats at the table are chastising uh, the rest of us for, we may be blowing it. You're blowing it. This sort of this sort of they've bought the they've 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 took the soup here, and they've bought the this kind of misleading characterization that progressives are going to be the death of us, and you know if you were at that table and somebody you know maybe more conservative than you but you know still a Democrat uh, would say that to you what would what would your answer be? Well, it's a great question, Michael, because I will be at that table, uh, oh. and, and it's good to <laughs> I didn't I, know that I need I need you know some of your ideas, but. I, I, what I'll tell you is that it, it's unclear how we can return to the a policy that caused the situation 
to get out of it. Um, and yet that's what these centrists are, you know, insisting on. And it's, it, it is, it's just, it, it's hypocritical that so many of them watching MSNBC, you know, said that we, we really needed emergency action. Um, and we do, uh, because we've gotten a respite from the far right for four years, really two, given what, what's likely to happen in 2022. And if we don't act, then just as they said, while Trump was president, uh, we, we, we may lose the country. And, and yet then to return to this, to the same, you know, kind of talking points about inflation and taxation, uh, and, uh, and frankly, you know, the, 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 the welfare state itself that were, were so common for so many years, alienating the working class from their old, you know, their old party, uh, then w- we, we will deserve to lose. Hmm. Well, I don't want that to happen. Um, I think, I think all of us should just double down right now. A lot of work to do this year, this coming year. Um, and uh, just trust that the majority of Americans agree with us. They, they want help with childcare, with taking care of their parents. Uh, they want, they want an expanded Medicare. In fact, they want it for everybody. Like you said, the single payer, and it's not even on the table yet. Uh, all of these things, when you ask the pollsters, ask the American people, do you want this stuff? Do you believe women should have the right to control their own bodies? <laughs> the vast majority of Americans are on our side. This is not the time for us to give up or to be thinking, oh, mansion and cinema, they've wrecked it for all of us. This is, this is, we have to get smart. We have to think differently. Um, um, you know, we have to float like a butterfly and sing like a bee. <laughs> I mean, we just, that's how I'm looking at it right now. And, and, and over upcoming episodes, as we get into the new year, you know, how people on will talk about some of these specifics. But before you go, and I know you have a, a lecture to give, I think, here today at Boston College. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and someday, some, will you explain to me the difference between Boston College and BU and BC, Boston University? I just, you know, being a Midwestern, I don't, I don't understand why we need both of them. And I don't understand what they do differently. But I've been told they're very different. So, but that's not, that's not my last question here. My last question is, is that you have written about and spoken about, and I think teach uh, in your history classes there at Yale, um, about the Supreme Court. And, and things that I thought I knew that were in the Constitution aren't there about the Supreme Court or about the so-called three co-equal branches of government. All that stuff we were taught in school that kind of stuff isn't really quite stated that way in the Constitution. And you've written recently of how we must not despair that we can't do anything about the Supreme Court that we're stuck with now until, you know, Basil's grandchildren are born. So I'm just, what, what, tell us in just a brief amount of time that we have here, what, what can be done to fix this awful uh, situation? So, you know, you and I took civics uh, back in the Cold War, and we were told that the Supreme Court is indispensable for justice, but it, it turns out it's not. And it's, it's strayed beyond the, the purposes that it should have and the Constitution gives it, which is just to enforce the law that the legislature makes and to give people 
a place to, you know, get protection from the law that the legislature makes. And so what we have to redo it, do is cut it down to size um, and protect our rights as they've mostly been protected through Congress. Um, and uh, it's, it's not that, you know, the Supreme Court has never done good things, but it, it, was, it's, it, it was rare and it's not coming back. Uh, it's the most business-friendly court in a century. And as you say, it's no longer protecting African-Americans and women, especially when it comes to abortion rights, which have already been, you know, treated to death by a thousand cuts. And so I think what we have to do is kind of teach a new civics class to ourselves and, and our fellow citizens where we say we, we can't rely on uh, uh, the, the court to save us. We have to save ourselves and then let it, let it, uh, you know, have, have the role it ought to have, which is to, you know, enforce the law rather than overturn it. You know, Obamacare, multiple lawsuits, uh, you know, the Supreme Court on, in the first of those lawsuits, as you know, cut out the Medicaid expansive expansion, which Congress approved uh, and uh, consigned some of the poorest Americans, blacks in the South mostly, uh, to, to, you know, a, 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 a lesser program. And so uh, across the board, I think we're, we're entering a new era when we can revisit uh, what powers the court ought to have and stop censoring our laws or, or throwing them out altogether. Is one of the solutions uh, adding uh, uh, four more justices to the Supreme Court so that the damage that Trump did to it uh, uh, is at least for temporarily? I think it's, it's, it's worth considering because, you know, especially if we think there was skullduggery and Mitch McConnell is, is no stranger to skullduggery. But, you know, right. in the long term, who's on the court is a separate question from what powers they ought to enjoy and remember across partisan lines, these justices, including, you know, the notorious uh, R RGB and other liberals have been very business friendly, you know, because they're close to the Democratic Party and its old incarnation. And so I think ultimately we need to um, change the role of the court and changing who's up there on it, uh, who gets to rule from on high is 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 not the answer well i know we don't talk about much about the supreme court these days because we had so many other things we're dealing with we're in the middle of a, a global pandemic but um uh, I'll, I'll post a, a couple of things here that you've written and, and encourage people to read them um and also your your book that's uh, out right now I'll, I'll put a link to that um here on our on our podcast page but um i, I don't want to give up on this idea that we have to fix the damage, uh, uh, brutal damage that's been done to the court over the years. And the long-term thing that you've raised here, which is just the power that the Supreme Court has and getting that straightened out. Uh, it's uh, somewhere in the last century, we fell into a different way of thinking about the Supreme Court. And I'm sure it's the way that corporate America wanted us to think and it benefited them, but that's uh, that can't continue. So I know everybody's listening. Oh, Mike, not another thing I got to think about. Yes, I know it's hard it's hard, but, you know, what the people who were in the French resistance do? That must have been hard. 
you know, they didn't get to go to a soccer game at, at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> they didn't get to do any. I mean, this is the way it happens. This is the way history goes. Sometimes it's hard. And uh, Sam, I'm so appreciative that you took the time today to, to come on and talk about what's happened in the last week and how um, we must not give in or give up uh, and that always trust and know that we represent the majority of the people in this country. Well, it's a real privilege to be with you. Well, thank you very much. And please come back on and talk to us again. And I shall not despair. Let's, I'll just close on that. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Samuel Moyne, our guest here, law professor, history professor at Yale University and occasional lecturer at Boston College, uh, not Boston University. All right. <laughs> thanks so much, Sam. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Be well. Okay, so that's it here on Rumble with Michael Moore. I want to thank my guest, Samuel Moyne, and I really want to thank the 30 million of you out there who have downloaded episodes of this podcast over its first uh, 20, 21, 22 months. Much appreciated. And please share it with your family and friends, and please know that I have extreme gratitude for you joining with me uh, in this podcast. Uh, thanks also, uh, to everybody who in the first day or two here have, uh, gotten your ball caps and, uh, t-shirts and hoodies and coffee mugs and stickers and everything else we've got at the Moore store. Uh, it's been very cool to watch this happen and, uh, uh, we will be able to provide some good funds, uh, to the different groups that I support, progressive groups and movements, and also those who are fighting to get our music and theater arts classes back in our public schools and our civics classes. Uh, this, this is uh, just a big, a big thing that's bugging me for a number of years now. And, uh, and we can't let this happen to the next generation. So thanks everybody uh, for tuning in. Thanks to Basil and Nick and uh, Donald and Harrison uh, for helping me out here. And I will see you again next week here on Rumble. In the meantime, uh, join me on my Substack column, my letter, my weekly letter, uh, just go to michaelmore.com uh, for that. Join me on michaelmore.com uh, and uh, my new letter uh, will be up uh, this weekend. Okay, be safe, be well, uh, um, yeah, do good work, and uh, thanks for being part of this. This is Michael Moore, and this is Rumble.